You are listening to Down Home. I'm Derek Wise, and on behalf of Jay Jones, welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience from two black men. This week, we continue our conversation with Tony Smith, a former resident of the Home for Colored Children. In episode 11, Tony detailed his journey through the system and his path to activism. If you haven't listened to that episode, it can be found in the episode list. This week, in part two of our conversation with Tony, we talk about the restorative inquiry in detail and what comes next since the inquiry findings have been published. We, we did an interview with uh, Walter Borden um, during our own journey doing this podcast. And he said something that really stuck with me, that uh, timing is everything, yes. you know? You found that spark to uh, sort of lead you to the activism you're in now. Like your grandfather said, you're going to do good things, right? Um, it's a very powerful thing for you to sort of, sort of be that voice to step out in the things that you saw in your own journey to the light to, um, you know, bring people together to have the courage to let their voice be heard. Thank you. Yeah. Now, uh, just one follow-up, though, uh, Tony. Um, what sort of obstacles um, did you encounter along the way that you didn't see coming? Um, the, the obstacles that were in the way that I didn't see coming um, was something that I hope didn't happen. And this is a psychological shock to the Black community. Because as, as black communities and black people were looked down upon in society anyhow. And to, to hear stories that we don't harm to our own people, uh, a lot of people didn't want to bring that there. So we were always taught as uh, uh, kids that, you know, if you say something like this here, you're basically being a traitor to the black community. So that's why a lot of us for decades uh, wouldn't say anything. Um, so when I was approached, like I, I knew, and I said to my colleagues of voices that <clears throat> when this gets going, <clears throat> there's gonna be a group of people that's gonna come out from our community that's gonna work against us. And as we were starting to get momentum from the public to put pressure on the previous government that was opposed to a public inquiry and, and opposed to settlement, um, I heard in the paper that this leader was making a statement that he didn't wanna grant a public inquiry because it put a divide in the black community. Mm-hmm. So that was my my cue, and I, I said to my colleagues at Voices, they're going to come. So then we get an email from uh, three people uh, that wanted to meet with us from a bigger group that was calling themselves the African Nova Scotia Leadership Think Tank. And they said that uh, they want to meet with uh, uh, Voices because they have some concerns, these Black organizations, in regards to our allegations and what kind of impact that is having on the Black community. And so... I agreed to meet with them. And when I did, I um, at the Black Cultural Center was in a blizzard and I had one of my uh, voices uh, colleagues that was Skyped. And when I walked in, they passed me a piece of paper with the name African Nova Scotia Leadership Think Tank. And what is it you want the outcome to be in the inquiry? What is it you don't want the outcome to be? And is there any other uh, solution or resolution that you would do to deal with the serious situation? And I told them, that's not what I'm here for. Who are these black organizations? that are concerned about our allegations and, you know, who are these people? 
So they named the, the people, they named the, the organizations, the, the African United Baptist Association, the, the, the Black Cultural Center, uh, the Black uh, Education, the African uh, uh, Black uh, School of Social Work, or not School of Social, African Nova Scotian Social Work or some kind of thing that mm -hmm. that's there. Yeah. And then they named some names that are people closely associated with the NDP party, who the leader Dexter was in power at that particular time, who was opposed to settling these issues with us. So I said, this doesn't reflect the black community. It more reflects people who are closely associated with the colored home and the Dexter government. So when we started talking, they said, well, we need to know what you want. And I said, who's we? There's there's no we here. You you don't speak for us. We've been here 14 years trying to advocate. I never heard nothing about you. And I said this name, the African Nova Scotia Leadership Think Tank. Like, are you suggesting that you speak for all the black communities? Like, where did this come from? I don't never heard nothing about you, or or is it this this local community? And so anyhow, um, I told them what we're doing, and we want to do it in a restorative way, and that we want to uh, to do it in a way that through the lens of this this inquiry to deal with the broader issues of systemic discrimination, institutional racism. Mm -hmm. um, they still had their own plan in mind. And so I, I, I told them, because he said, well, you might as well tell us what you want because the premier is not going to speak with you. That's Dexter at the time. And I said, why? I said, did you speak to the premier? And he said, yes, we did. So I said, so you went and spoke to them and, and this premier taking a cowardly act to have you to come to tell us to be silent. Mm -hmm. I said, this play master mentality. And so anyhow, I said that, you can go and, and tell him whatever you want, ask for whatever you wish, but you tell him one thing, you don't represent us. Mm -hmm. So sure enough, they did have the meeting and then they started to use some of our language around restorative because they never ever taught that. So they used <laughs> some of our language to build their case as to what they wanted for the black community, not us, what they wanted, but they should speak with us because it's very important of what they're going through. They should be heard. Right. So anyhow, we did land a meeting with Dexter. And to make a long story short, we knew it wasn't going nowhere. So we knew that we, he was patronizing. He was just playing us on like I, I had a meeting with kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I said to him, it doesn't matter how we got here. Um, you know, we can work together. And I said, you know, whatever you decide to do, if it's positive, can have a profound positive uh, uh, to your legacy or a profound negative to your legacy. But if you continue to do further harm, what he was doing, because what he was asking us to do instead of a public inquiry was have an independent panel, meaning that we can come and speak with all the harms that we suffered. But at the same token, where we have the, the our affidavits in courts about these allegations and stuff, you want them swiped from the court. Oh. Right? Wow. And there's no subpoena power. There's no nothing. And mm. so anyhow, I said, no, that's doing further harm. So mm. I said, if you want to continue doing further harm, then we'll have our own campaign. And it's anybody but Dexter. So if you put that in anybody but Dexter on YouTube, you'll see the video that was put together by a former resident's son who was a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so... um. And I said that this, you know, will have a profound negative impact, not only on your government, but on you as a person, as a human being. So he became the first uh, premier uh, not to uh, get a second term. He became the first premier to lose in his riding. He came last in his riding. He lost to a black <laughs> person, mm -hmm. which you can't write this script. It's also, <laughs> no, seriously, you can't write it. And so... Um, uh, uh, Howard Epstein written a book and he talked about the decline of the NDP and he said there's two reasons said the 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 theory the, uh, the, the armor theory and the, the way they handled Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children and really? actually, actually uh, in there there was a a day I have to tell you this here that we were calling this particular leader out because there's a lot of lies and mis 
truths that he was saying. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to call it the tax. So we had a, 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 a press conference at the Museum of Afriville. And everything that he had said that was a lie, instead of us saying that he lied, here's the supporting documentation. And we kept giving it to all the media that was there. And that particular day, they wanted us to go down to the, um, uh, somebody said, you're going to go down to the legislature. And I said, okay, didn't plan it, but we went down there. And uh, on that particular day, um, that's when uh, Dexter was going to introduce this person that they were going to have lead this inquiry that we, this independent panel that we were opposed to, and we didn't want to talk to, that's going to cause more harm. So um, went in, into the galley and uh, no, back up. There was a press thing going on. Dexter was speaking and he said something that I said, no. And so I stood up and I called him out. And when I called him out, the cameras came on me. And I know that they have an escape route. I learned from before. So I blocked the escape route, but I let him go. <laughs> and I said, you go ahead and speak, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we spoke. Um, then we went up to the galley and the minister at the time, uh, 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 Percy Paris, he, he was looking up. And every time I, he looks up, I look down at him. And I'm shaking my head like, you know, what's going on? So when I was leaving, I actually like shook and I, I don't know. I don't have to tell you, brother, you know, kind of. Yeah. Thing. Uh, no sooner I got home than I heard that uh, he assaulted another MLA from the Liberal Guy Party. Whoa. because wow. Yeah, he went in the bathroom and jacked him up. Right. And oh, so I got, a call from, I got a call from, <laughs> from uh, somebody from the police station. He said, well, the reason that he used as to why he lost it was because of Tony Smith, because he keeps on talking about the colored home. Right? Yeah. So, wow. So anyhow, um. Uh, he got off the charges and he was no longer MLA, but in Howard's book, Howard Epstein's book, uh, um, he had written that uh, Dexter in a caucus meeting called me a sociopath. Oh, man. Because oh, wow. I wouldn't stop talking about the colored home. <laughs> <laughs> so everything went full circle. And and I, I, I don't I'm not trying to uh, be cocky in any way, but I always said all along that this has a life of its own. Yeah. I'm not running anything. And and to me, yeah. I believe this is the spirit of Anthony Langford. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's also speaking truth because usually when you speak truth, it finds its own wheels, right? Yeah. Because, you know, uh, if you're speaking truth, others see that because it's yeah. genuine. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. definitely. Yeah. That's uh, amazing. Uh, yeah. You can't, uh, you can't hide from the truth once it's there. Right. Yeah, it's there in all its honesty. Um, so, um, where does everything stand now as far as the inquiry goes? Well, the inquiry, as it goes now, there's a, a I, I forget the acronym because we're coming out. We're, we're um, continuing with the pathways that we have in place, mm -hmm. and we also wanted to have a, a, an organization that is separate from government, in that sense. So. Um, and to keep the process of what we adopted to this um, in place moving forward. Uh, I think one of the most um, powerful speeches of the, the previous Premier, Steve McNeil, was in our closing ceremony, and he talks mm -hmm. about this process right. and that it should be used um, everywhere in all departments. And as I mentioned, Derek, earlier, that uh, this same process when the united nations came to study across canada about racism they said racism is worse in nova scotia but the good thing about nova scotia they had the restorative inquiry because not only is that process good for nova scotia it's good for all across canada mm -hmm. so it, it's a it's a way of not naming and blaming and shaming i mean if you're constantly pointing the finger at somebody about the wrongs they did well they don't want to speak to you 
Yeah, exactly. If it's like, okay, let's learn from these experiences because sometimes policies are in place not to intend to hurt people, but if you don't know it <laughs> and nobody tells you kind of stuff, mm-hmm. well, then you're going to continue thinking that you're not doing harm. Yeah. So, um, so those things are in place. We're going to continue to work. I'm still uh, a co-chair with the Reflection and Action Group with, uh, with government. Um, one of the things that I, I that we had talked about, and I think uh, um, we're going to pursue, uh, is, is the fact that the black communities, when we went out, when we got the inquiry, because of the support, in, in I, I don't know if you know this part about the think tank, but um, in the broader white society, they looked as leaders because that's all you see—the same people. They got the microphone, and these are the people that would get the, the experts. Right. Mm-hmm. And that they would get the grants from government and that they would then hire their own staff, usually their own family and all this nasty stuff. And this has been going on for decades, for as long as we can remember. Mm-hmm. Well, that when we went out, uh, when we finally went to the the, the, the gathering of black families, you Gemma with the, the late Rocky Jones, and he wanted me to come speak. But when I mentioned about the African Nova Coastal Leadership Think Tank, the place went crazy and he wanted me to name names. And mm-hmm. But what I've also, and so from that, um, they said that we oppose this independent panel that the Dexter government wants. We, we support a public inquiry for the former residents and, and for voices. Those in support of the, writing a letter from the black communities, please stand up. Everybody stood up, mm-hmm. over 250 people. And Rocky wow. said, Tony, it's hard to get 250 people to stand up. He says, especially black people. <laughs> so that was, <laughs> a compliment. That was yeah. quite a compliment. And I had the opportunity to thank the black community because I said, this is the first time I feel connected to the black community because we as former residents never felt connected because people knew what was going on. Not everybody, but people knew what was going on to the point that a lot of times in black households, they say, if you misbehave, we're going to send you to the colored home. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so, um, and if you're identified as somebody from the colored home, then you're being teased by the kids and all this mess of you're an unwanted, you're a bastard and all that kind of stuff. So, um, we didn't fit in anywhere. So to get right. that letter, you know, here you got this group saying to to white government, yeah, we represent all the black community. And if you don't do what we want you to do, it's going to put a divide in the black community compared to speaking to the various black communities. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, no, no, we support, fully support you. So as we went around to the, the problems, uh, when we got the inquiry, the first thing we did was go to the black communities first, the outreach. And we talked about this is what the inquiry is. Would you like to be a part of it? And then I said, we have other stakeholders that we got to meet. And once we get this information, we're going to come back to the black communities, which we did. Mm-hmm. And we did the follow up. And one of the things, and it's in the report, is saying that we as the black communities are in crisis because we have no real black leaders or real black advocates, that we have a lot of people pretending to be for their own personal interests. So what we were looking to do is to go to these various black communities and how um, and, and we also uh, looking at training them this year process that they can deal with uh, issues within their own community, but then look at the broader the black communities as to what we had to deal with together. So you're looking at justice, looking at the, these different things, but do it in a way that you then have people that the community is saying, we have faith in you, just like what they did with the colored home. We believe that you're going to have our best interests. So not, you know, we, we need to stop these so-called people that just put a name African Nova Scotian and then add whatever they want to it that they represent right. people. Because every wow. time you see, like I, I seen one thing about street checks and they had four different people and all of the four people, they're saying, well, this is what I would like. This is what I would like. I, I, there was no we. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you go home, you hear people say, well, oh, that person, not, not my leader, don't speak for me, but they don't have a voice. Yeah. This is giving people a voice. This process, no matter what you're going through, mm-hmm. no matter what population of people, 
it gives that first voice a voice. So we as a black community, this is going to give us that first voice. And COVID kind of set us back a little bit. And I know that some of the people that got that mindset of a think tank are looking like, oh, we can go back and get the candy kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. I'm going to show my respect to the black communities because they showed their respect to us former residents by supporting us. So the other thing that that's that's going on there too that the black community is not aware of, and I and I feel I have to, to say this is that the Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children does not exist. All the assets were taken out of that institution in 2013. Mm-hmm. And it was signed over to this other group called Acoma Holdings. When the land was given to the black community, and this is all documented in the report, and what I'm saying to you is in the report as well. But as you know, it's a big book and not everybody's reading it. And so when they took the assets, there was a bylaw that uh, the black community was concerned that they made an amendment in 78 uh, to the Nova Scotia uh, Colored Home uh, Act that in the event that that land was to be dissolved, that the assets would go to the AUBA or non-for-profit organizations. And the bylaw also said the reason why the land was given to meet the needs of the black communities mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. education and, and things of that nature. Right. Well, this Acoma Holdings then took that bylaw. Oh, they own all the property, all the assets now, and they're looking to develop and get permission to 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 rezone and put all in all these buildings in. And they say it's going to better the black communities. I say how? Yeah, <laughs> they're not accountable. So some people said that they're in agreement with, you know. Um, but some of the people say that they're in agreement with did not know that they don't own the land anymore. Ooh. So if you're looking at, wow. yeah, so if you're looking at Upper Trackety, you're looking at Whitney Perry, you're looking at Digby, Yarmouth, Shelburne, and all these other different places, what is in that proposal? Like, first of all, they didn't have a say. So you're actually putting a proposal, and, and, and I brought this here to the city's attention, that they're giving the impression that they consulted with the black communities. They did not. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that for me, I'm not saying what should be done or not should, shouldn't be done. But what needs to be done is that this land that belonged to the various black communities no longer belong to these black communities. And when you start seeing profit and stuff coming, well, then it's going to be too late. Mm-hmm. So how, like, if there was a, a, a conversation like what we're talking about, is that grassroots, well, I know from our own talkings and doing the RI that there's problems in the, in the various rural communities about transportation, getting to and from doctor's appointments, things of that nature. There's, there's, there's issues about housing, like young people want to come back, but there's no buildings, no apartments for them to rent. Like yeah. if this is something that's going to help generate fundings for those communities, like it's great. Yeah. But, but all you're hearing now is about the local, the, 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 the Preston area, which actually next week I'm going to speak because they're, they, a lot of them are not aware of this is going on. So I'm trying my best right now to educate before it gets too dark because I want to show my respect to the the ABA uh, ladies uh, um, auxiliary way back in the day because the A A A U B A as well as the uh, the board from the colored home did not show up in a good way. Right. Mm-hmm. Didn't participate in the, in in a, in a meaningful way that the um, the colored home basically lied from us from the very beginning. When we got the apology in 2013, we thought it was from the colored home, but the colored home did not exist. Wow, as, we had time. The chair, as we had the chair who was um, that we had asked to be a part of, always introduced herself as chair as the Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children. In 2017, when this here, uh, land thing came up uh, and the color, uh, Acoma put it all together, because we thought there was two boards, Acoma and the Colored Home, um, then we found out from this, the chair that the home doesn't exist. And I said, well, who gave us the apology? And the very person uh, who is responsible 
for signing over all the assets to Acoma is the very same person who received all the assets, who is also the treasury of the wow. AUPA. So here you got this organization that knows nothing about the lands gone, that there's already a, 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 a proposal into the city saying that you conferred with. And once I reveal this information, people are saying conflict of interest and they're pointing the finger at this person. How do you think that is going to be resolved? The only way it's going to be resolved is, is for me, um, is that I'm only going to tell the truth and I want the truth to get out there. And how it gets resolved would be how the community wants to resolve this. Yeah, how they respond. Me, you know, I'm just saying that you need to know because we have suffered enough and, and, and we're saying do no further harm. Mm -hmm. So in keeping up do no further harm, what we do know about this institution, what we do know about these particular people who lead this institution, what we experience personally now, I will share with you. We invited them to come because we want to heal. They tried every step of the way, and I'm not going to get into all the details, but one thing that was very uh, uh, upsetting to me and my, my colleague, uh, Jerry Morrison, who's also a former resident, Voices member, and Council Parties member, is that this one board member consistently throughout all the years of us trying to do work together, blame us former residents for the hardship of the colored home financially because they're legal costs. Now, the home never spent nothing. We, we sued. Uh, we got $5 million. I came from the insurance. Nothing came from the home. And what we said to the, the, the AUBA when it came to the land, at no time did we ever say we were going to go after land because that land belongs to the black communities and yeah. people of blood, you know? Yeah. So this particular individual stated that we have caused them harm because our meeting with them was with the Council of Parties, with the board of the, we thought, the Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children, now Sacoma. And we played their video when they apologized to us and their commitment to this inquiry. And we asked them, do you think that you honored that apology? Which they did not. So this, this counselor uh, uh, that's a board member um, blamed us for the expenses of them having to re-mortgage the, the, the home of 400 something thousand dollars. And that we as a former residents should pay that money back to them of the money that we get as far as settlement. Oh my. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So. <laughs> What I said to them, thank you for your honesty, but just for clarity, we're the ones that invited you to take part of this here process where you did not show up and all you did was lie. We as voices will no longer be a part of speaking to this institution. As we move forward, we will be in conversations with you only if it is a strategy as to what to do with the land, with people from members of the black community, the AUBA, government, voices, you know, former residents and, and things of that nature. So they've been going around trying to give a false narrative that we were holding it up uh, to these different people. Uh, we are mm -hmm. trying to educate these people. And somehow it's a little difficult. And, and it, I don't know how it's going to go, but with the AUBA and with the, the, the Colored Home, because the AUBA is the first people that the Colored Home went to to try to silence us. Yeah. The uh -huh. AUBA members also knew about the, 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 the horrific abuse that it took, took place that was exposed. I don't know if you've seen the throwaway children on um, W5 that gave us national exposure. What was gonna be a 15 minute segment ended up being an hour. Right. And then it was the most viewed show that they ever had and they won all kinds of awards on it because of the authenticity of the stories that we're telling of what we had suffered. Mm -hmm. So 
that's the the kind of uh, uh, situation I find myself in now because the only way that that is going to come to any kind of resolve is we reach out to the various black communities, we talk about what's going on. How can we then uh, take control and and work at a way, a pathways that we do it and do no further harm and do it in a respectful way and, and to to ensure that somebody's not coming knocking on the door of the same they've been robbed. And it took a long time to get people to change their way of thinking. So this is not a process that automatically, you just have a meeting here and you meet in there and everything's done. This is actually building those relationships. And it's ongoing. Ongoing. Yeah. It changes ongoing. every time because time change, things change. But mm-hmm. yeah. the way that you communicate, and if it's based upon respect and it's not name and blame and shame, but learning from those experiences, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. mistakes we made, then that's the growth. And then yeah. you feel comfortable and then you trust. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, that restorative uh, framework. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and sometimes you you know you're exactly right. You have to look at the mirror of the of the of the ugliness in order to see beyond it. I mean, I, I I've had people like um, Fonya Davis, um, the sister of uh, Angela Davis mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Oakland. She's she's been here. She's been seeing you know what's going. On. Margaret Burham. She they they came and did a, a speaking engagement. Went out that are looking at what we're doing because of the. Uh, uh, the person that had helped us, uh, uh, Miss Jennifer Llewellyn, she's a law professor or whatnot. She's world-renowned, restorative. She, uh, South Africa, the the the, the uh, uh, reserves, uh, uh, residential schools and things of that nature. Here, I mean, she's she volunteered to help us from day one. You know? mm-hmm. And 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 then these people asking us to go uh, to Oakland, for example, for the Black Panthers' 50 reunion. And when we talked about when they seen the Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children, a lot of people are offended, say, oh, I'm not going there, you know, racist. What? No, that's the institution. You need to hear what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, then to be asked to go to uh, Vermont, to go to uh, the UK and, and, you know, all these other places, because they're saying that the model that you got here, they're shocked by it. They never seen anything happen like this in such a quick period of time. Now, this uh, um, inquiry was the cheapest in the history of Canada. We got $5 million. <laughs> to yeah. do this and by the time we were done i i, I believe we had like four or five hundred thousand dollars to give back wow. my goodness wow. yeah and and i cut out all that legal stuff yeah and and the thing too, a do no further harm when it came to the settlement mm-hmm. the government said here here's the money you come up with a plan so what we did instead of having your traditional a settlement where you're being interrogated give me all your documentations we had two parts one part was um, uh, the, the how long you were in the home. Regardless of your abuse or not, you were subjected to that, right? Mm. And so based upon your time, there, there was a scale. The other part, if you had, if there was further harm done to you, and if it was for, further harm, it was on four different levels, the, the most severe being sexually assaulted and those kind of things. Yeah. And, and that's not saying that the other pain is less or greater. That's just the way society is, and that's their way of apologizing for the harms that they had done. So yes. this is the formula that we had to use. The only people that were uh, the government was taking responsibility for, because we set up a 29 million um, with them and 5 million with the uh, colored home, was the wards that they sent there. I'm a ward. There was no uh, taking responsibility for any kids pre-51 because uh, there was a policy that you could not sue the provincial government at that, at that particular time. Really? There was no compensations for any kids that were dropped off from the various black communities in Nova Scotia. And there was no uh, funding. Uh, they weren't taking responsibility for other kids, other problems that was coming there. So the only kids that they were taking responsibility for was us former residents, mm-hmm. which would have been a lot of money. 
Mm. And, and so what we said is to do no further harm and leave nobody left behind. So when we said nobody left behind, we meant that my pain is not greater than your pain because I was put there by government. That we have to ensure that everybody, uh, um, you know, get 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 money. So we took less to make sure everybody got. So when we started the individual cases, we went up to a maximum of 167 cases, which would have took 50 years through the court system. A lot of people to die and all that kind of stuff. Never get justice. We got certified as a class action. It's the first time we ever got certified certification as a class action, in Nova Scotia. Yeah. And once we got approved, and and uh, we were looking to settle. Uh, at that particular time, we had like 167. But once we got approved and we were starting to settle, that doubled. It was mm-hmm. 333 people that actually came to be part of that class action lawsuit. So, mm-hmm. you know, for the government to entrust us in, in a way saying, here's the money and here's how you're going to spend it, that's unheard of. For a government to come and say, this is an inquiry, you do whatever you got to do, whatever's being unfolded, whatever dirt that's behind that carpet, we're not going to interfere. You do what you got That's unheard of. The premier himself gave us, uh, um, uh, when he apologized, he apologized not only to us as uh, um, people being abused as former residents, but also apologized to the African Nova Scotia communities for the systemic racism that historically has played our province and that we have to do better. And this is what this is about. So when we gave out the, uh, the, 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 the claim, the settlements, we also included that letter. And I actually have the original downstairs that was used that day. It's a big old plaque or whatever. So that 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 apology happened in 2016, was it? I believe it was. I think so. 2016 with the premier. 2016, something like that. McNeil, yeah. Yeah, Premier McNeil. Yeah, yeah. And um, so part of the process was that um, we the two claims. We would then have a facilitator take you and as a former resident tell you what it's all about. You go to an evaluator. And then instead of being all this traditional, like you're being interrogated, what harms did you suffer and what kind of impact did it have on your life? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that the majority of the people leaving there felt relieved and yeah. they felt because yeah. they were believed. Yeah. And, and you know, like even with the uh, the first retreat in 2012, we had another one up in Troll, 2013. And you see the difference of how people transform mm-hmm. because in 2012, nobody will look at you. Nobody wants to speak to you. Everybody was all bent down. 2013, mm-hmm. chess is up. Voices roaring. Everybody's yeah. looking, everybody's happy. Uh, we, we have a, a, a door uh, project that it was a pilot program in, in the schools through this inquiry, digital oral uh, history resolution. Um, I know the website is being changed, but you'll see certain things. And it, actually what it is, is to talk about the history of how we came as black people, talk about the colored home and why that came, talk about voices, talk about you know the issues that we had to deal with, and then talk about the restorative inquiry and the snap, but they had the octave riffs. And we actually mm-hmm. did a, graphics from Waterloo and, and Google, all these different people for, I think it took us like four years that you can actually go into one of the rooms, hit an object, and you're going to hear a story. Okay. Okay, yeah. cool. So I'll talk about, you know, my friend Anthony Langford or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's also talking about other stories like the bread and butter uh, story. That That's a cook um, that um, we were always hungry. So I was some, you know, always go to the cook and say, is there any chores you want me to do? And if she said, yes, well, I do the chore. And then she'd tell me to go outside by the window. I sneak around there. She'll sneak me a piece of bread and butter. Uh-huh. And so I'm thinking I'm all, I got the special thing. Right. And then when we met in, in 2017, another retreat, the daughter of this cook came in, nobody knew she was coming in and everybody knew who she was. And wow. they talk about her mother yeah, and talk right. about 
oh, this is my name. But I said, well, I, I thought I was the pet because I had a pet name. They had a pet name. But that's what I'm saying. You know, this is not just about good and bad actors. This is, mm-hmm. a, you know, a situation where, you know, the colored home was a lifeline for a lot of people to have employment. And, and, and a lot of people seeing what was going on and, you know, they risked the fact of losing that employment. But nice. some of these people, even though they've seen it, they 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 treat us in a way that gave us hope. Like there's good people, and that's that's what I grabbed onto. And and as I'm able to hear from other former residents, um, you know, that's the very same thing. And but that's like even with our our, uh, I tell you one example. Like uh, some of the elders when we had our 2000 uh, retreat, they're talking about how hungry they were, and they would sneak open the the slop truck. They'll come and dump all the slop into the pig pen, and they'll go in there and they'll eat the food. They'll fight with the pigs, and pigs will bite them and whatnot. They'll wow. grab all kinds of food, whatever they can, and whatever they don't eat, they put underneath the tree. And all of a sudden, the older ladies wrote, they're all giggling and laughing. They said, what you laughing about? They said, well, we used to see you guys leave and try to figure out what you were doing. And so we snuck on to see what you were doing. And when you left, and you let the food there. We ate it because <laughs> they couldn't understand where the food went. And I mean, that's horrific. But I'm just saying that's the kind of stuff that, you know, um, we were able to share with each other and we were able yeah. to, so you, you didn't feel that you were being judged. And, and so, you know, that's the power of, of, of people who've been traumatized being resilient in the way of, of being resourceful for each other. And, mm-hmm. and that's all I can say. Like I, because of the position that, that, that I've been in, I heard so many stories, mm-hmm. you know, I, mm-hmm. I, it, 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 you know, and, and you're speaking to so many different people to have these human beings with all the stuff that we were subjected to not to have hate and to say, you know what, let's learn from this. Mm -hmm. And nobody else should go through what we went through. And I remember one story, this Garnet Smith. And when it came to talking about strategizing, if we did get money, what you do, he said, I don't want no money. He kept, I don't want no money. And I said, no, no, it's not about the money. I don't want anything. I said, well, if you don't take it, somebody else will. That's the way this is designed. Yeah. So if you don't want it, take it and give it to whoever you want. Mm-hmm. So I met him in Toronto. Uh, he uh, he got his first part, second part. He said, Tony, I got my first part, which would have been a lot because he was there for a long time. <laughs> you know, yeah, back then yeah. as an orphanage, he's older. Um, he said, Tony, I went and bought myself a brand new color TV. He said, I gave some money to the church and I um, gave the rest to my son. I don't need the money. Mm. It's okay. And he said, well, when I got my second part of the money, I went and bought myself a chair so I can watch the color TV. In case I, to church. <laughs> I gave the rest to my son. I don't need the money. I said, okay, mm. that's cool. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away. Uh-huh. And I was able to go up uh, to Toronto to the service. And um, he was a guy that uh, volunteered and did work um, in, in the classrooms at the school he was at uh, for a couple of decades. And he was illiterate, like he didn't learn reading right now it's more about child labor and that kind of stuff yeah. and so um he had all kinds of different tricks to try to mask it up and then sure enough the kids knew that uh he couldn't read or write and they helped him to read and write and stuff like that and um when i went to uh his service that place was packed mm-hmm. and they had nothing but respect this particular individual the impact he had on the church and his community and the schools and stuff like that. just being him nobody knew his story and then they knew his story. Well, then that just elevated everything. Yeah, it so, often does. And so this uh, young lady, uh, Andrea, and I can't pronounce her last name, um, she befriended Garnet, and Garnet uh, gave her permission to, to, to use his story. And she just written a, a book, the, the Lost Sister. And um, 
she contacted uh, Voices and she said that she wanted her proceeds to go to Voices because of the work that we're doing. Amazing. And I said, well, that's very kind. She traveled down there. She spoke with us and, and I said, okay, fine. And so I told her, I said, you know, I have an idea and I'd like to know what you think about the money. Cause you know, we like to put it to good use, not just for us. And so I told her that I'd like to, to have it as a bursary uh, for students. So just writing up a letter and, and one of the schools, Auburn high, that was part of the, the project of uh, the door project. And they're, they're all from the black community, local black community that, they were just amazed by the whole experience. They, yeah. they, they think we're rock stars. Right? Yeah. And they came to the, uh, the ceremony and they made the t-shirts that it's okay to go back to the past and not to go to the future. And they want to make that for us and stuff like that. And so um, I just uh, wrote a letter about uh, um, Garnet and, and his background and just what I'm saying to you. And that there's going to be a, a five, $500 um, uh, bursaries that we're going to give to the, to the school, to the students mm. that uh, were, were a part of it. So even in his death, he's still being kind and generous. Yeah, you know, excellent. With all the ugliness about the stereotypes about, you know, kids being in care or whatnot, I mm. I've been in the company of great people, and when they they're they're now living the lives that was denied from them as to their personality and their personal growth, and I I've been blessed in that sense. You know, is is horrible and as hard as this is, um, and. You know, I have no idea how I done what I've done. So don't don't even ask me that. Uh, I've been put in a situation I couldn't let them down. And I couldn't yeah. let my friend Anthony Langford down because I was able to tell his story. Yeah. Well, Tony, don't get it twisted. You are an inspiration. Thank you. You're a huge part of this. And I'm sure you're going to be a huge part of this going forward. Uh, it has been an honor to interview you today. Well, thank you're, you very much. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Do you have any it's final? A, do you have anything? Any final words before we wrap up? I, I the, the final words that I would have as we wrap up is that my concern, and that's one of the things about the Door Project, and and and, and I think this is going to be helpful because this what we created here is is has been well received by a lot of people throughout Canada as another teaching tool of learning from people instead of just reading from a book somebody's version. Mm. But the thing that I, I I want to to stress is the fact that we as black people who have been here for as long as we've been here and, and, and new people coming and, and to, to have to deal with the ugliness of racism and stuff like that, our history is not being documented. Mm -hmm. You know, the little short window of opportunity that we had to expose the kids to what we were going through, the response is overwhelmed. Like they're saying, I wanna be a doctor. I want to be a social worker. I want to be a lawyer. I don't want to see any kids go through what they went through or whatnot. We're, we are so close to putting all this negative stuff that we have suffered for decades away because we have such bright kids coming up that are very intelligent that we need to make sure that we as adults tell them the right stories and the right path for them to make the decision. So that's what I want to get out of this is that we have to think differently. And that's why we're saying a different way forward. Mm -hmm. We got to stop this, what we've been doing in that, you know, when I keep on hearing people say, well, I'm the expert of this and I'm the expert of that. And within black men, oh, we can do this. We can do that. Well, if that's the case. Why do we have this problem? Mm -hmm. Did we create this problem? No. The people who create it need to be educated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You need to have that dialogue. You need to say, oh, now I understand why this is painful to you. Because if it doesn't affect them, it's nothing to them. They're, they're immune to it. So this is what this process does. And again, another great uh, 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 
comment that we got when we went out to the various black communities and they said that we respect everything that, that the former residents have done because you dealt with a very sensitive issue within the black community without name and blame and shame. And you can, you've shown that this can be done and this is what we need to do to deal with other issues within our community before we can go and, and do different things. Right. And that's what has to happen because right now you still have that um, like uh, groups of people that are again, advocating saying that they're doing for the black community when they're only advocating doing for themselves and their family. Yeah. And that's what I will be uh, fighting out against. And that's what they know these very same people when it came to the think tank and, and they were being exposed. Oh, I don't know nothing about, Oh, I never heard anything about that. Mm -hmm. You know, but um, yeah, they know what they're doing and, mm -hmm. and it's time to stop because I, you know, when I seen these, these young kids coming up and what they have to say and the support that they got and the way that they think differently and, and you know, have more confidence and, and building off of these, these, these uh, stories. No. So we'll, we will be proponing more of our black education and, and that has been accepted uh, within government. So that's why I said to you about the door project is now a lot of people that have been exposed to it have been saying, wow, we need to get this in our educational system because it's a great way of learning. Mm -hmm. So even if you put door, D-O-R, D-O-H-R dot C-A is the website, but I know that they were doing some work on it because we're, we, we, we uh, fine tuned it a little bit, but it's, there's going to be a display in the black cultural center. So these, when I announced certain names of black organizations, it was the individual that was in charge of that organization that was supporting them. So when I explain that there's not one piece of documentation, there used to be a, a little picture about the colored home and, and whatever, there's not one thing in the black uh, uh, cultural center. And that land was given to the black cultural center by the colored home. But it's right. the black politics of the people from the think tank that had that kind of control. So when a new uh, director came in and he heard me say this, he contacted me. Now they want to have a full display about the colored home, and they also want to have a full display about the door project, and also to have one that they travel with. Inspirational, and um, yeah. if there's anything that we can do, you know, let us know uh, from yeah. from our corner here. I appreciate but, it. Uh, no. uh, again, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, it's been an awesome conversation. Uh, Jay Jones, take us out. Yeah, I just uh, want to add. Um, you're carrying the torch uh, from Rocky Jones. He once said that, um, uh, you know, people are doing all right individually during times, and but he always worried about the the black community. Yeah. So it's good to see you continuing that work in bringing light to these situations because that's where the strength, the resilience, needs to be recognized in the power of black communities. Um, but it's just. It's, you know, I've sat, I've sat here the whole time, just overwhelmed with different emotions of, of what, you know, you guys went through and what you're trying to do um, is just an amazing thing. And like I said, like Derek said, you're truly an inspiration and it's good to see you bring light to a story that not a lot of people know about and uh doing this podcast we we wanted to have these type of conversations to bring light to these situations and hopefully through these conversations together changes can be made you know so like i said thank you well thank thank you uh, and and thanks for having me and, and and keep on sending the message man you know if there's anything i can do just feel free to call me anytime awesome Appreciate thank it. you thank you tony thank you you guys take care right. take care tony Breaking new crap, breaking new crap.
You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The song, Breaking New Ground, from The Breakdown. On a high plateau, from the one down below, to the future of the funk, getting lost in the flow, contact with the spot.